Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got a great show coming up uh, this morning for you. Uh, first up, we've got mum, Tanya Chappell, and her wonderful son, Lucas, who's 18, I believe. And what I love about the story is I came across it, And it's about a young mum who helps her son start a business when he's eight. And he runs that business for 10 years. And all that you learn about life and what it is to work and to earn money running a small business when you're children right? And my goodness, we sort of complain about um, young people so much, easily done. And then you're going to meet Lucas. Oh, you're going to be impressed. You're going to love it. And we've got Tane Webster back, Politics Explained. We're going to be talking a little bit about MMP and how that came to be. And also, we have got the irrepressible the unreplaceable, the unforgettable, Wally Richards, gardening. And I want to be talking to him about my tomatoes because tomatoes scare me. Now remember, email us, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Please, please, please email. Text us, 2057. Please, please, please text. It's like little tomatoes. I need sun light. I need water and nutrition. And your texts and your emails provide me with that because otherwise I just feel as though I'm talking to myself. And I so love hearing from the community that we're building with realitycheck.radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you for becoming members. And thank you for your texts and emails. Stay tuned. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive honest media and support RCR, join our Foundation Membership Club today. 
To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, remember, please, you can send me a text to 2057 or an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Well, how much do we spend our time complaining about the youth of the day? We seem to be like those old Greeks, you know, nothing's right about them. Well, I think we've found a listener with a boy got pretty much going for him. Sounds like everything's right. Uh, good morning, Lucas. Good morning. Yeah. You're a worker, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Why do you like working? Uh, just, I guess, keeps me busy and... Um, I know, like lots of, I've got lots of time free, so I thought I'd fill it in and do my best to learn a bunch of new things. And you've been in business since you were eight. Yes, yeah. So my mum helped me um, start a lawn mowing business when I was eight, and would have around, oh, have a round of three lawns or something like that every two two weeks and that eventually grew over up until now which until recently where we had eight lawns so yeah so for 10 years you've been mowing lawns every week or two yeah yeah and um you've got the same customers or have there been a high turnover yeah it's kind of slowly turned over over the years we've had a couple since what, since I was 10, I think, <laughs> Some, since I was nine. But, yeah, probably all of them have been refreshed, I'd say. And what, do you have your own lawnmower? Yeah. Yeah, so we started off with just my mum's one that she used for um, the backyard. And then I actually went and bought a mower off my first client for $20 or something, and it wasn't very good, but it did the job um well his his first client i just want to jump in there is the friend that uh, he's staying with in australia at the moment oh i should say that this is tanya his mum and i was having a discussion with myself about who to have first and i thought i'd grab lucas because mum said she does the talking (laughs) uh tell me mum tanya uh, it's tanya chapel and lucas chapel and we've got them on because they're keen listeners and we got hearing about what Lucas and his mum had got up to over the lockdown, which we'll get to. But I got fascinated by the fact that we have an eight-year-old who was in business, sorry, an 18-year-old who's been in the same business since he was eight, uh, maintained a customer business, made money, uh, supported himself, uh, done well at school and done very well at sport and has got plans for the future. And not only that, he did something very entrepreneurial during the lockdown, but tell me, Tanya, tell me a little bit about your circumstance and Lucas. Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't have jumped in there. Um, there was uh, a test so to see how I long. Thought, it was a test to see how long a mum can go. I would, well, without I was interrupting to see if he was, her son. <laughs> I was waiting to see if he was going to mention his very first client is the lady that he's actually staying with in Australia. Oh, yeah. So. So she um, left New Zealand for Australia, but kept in contact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've known her for a long, long time, but she was the first one that gave Lucas the opportunity to mow her lawn, and she had this dungery old mower. I shouldn't say that, actually. It was a mower. 
um, that she gave Lucas, but I actually said, no, you can actually pay for it because if you don't pay for it, it doesn't have any value. So he paid $20 for it. Mm. So tell me about your philosophy of raising Lucas. Oh, wow. I didn't really have one. Um, the My whole goal was to just try to, trying to raise a good human. Um, so I didn't really have a, um, what do you call it, manual on it. I didn't have too many ideas. and I was by myself. Um, and I thought, well, I've just got to do the best I can and teach them as much as I can. And my big thing, I guess I would call myself an old school parent. Mm-hmm. So my big thing was to teach them how to be responsible and accountable and um, reliable and have a good work ethic and not to let people down and stuff like that. How do you teach someone to have a work ethic? Put them to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because when I look back on it, my father didn't teach me a thing, but he taught me everything. But he taught me just by doing it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like he never sat down and taught me how to work hard. He just worked hard. And he never sat down to teach me to be honest. He was just honest. And then there was something about him, and I'm going to say members of that generation, that just had an expectation that hung across you, right? So he never said you got to work hard, but you had a big sense that you'd be a terrible disappointment if you didn't give it everything you had every day of your life. You know what I mean? And um, I don't see us doing that now to our kids. And that's why I'm interested in you, because short of farmers, um, we tend to let kids have an extended play now until they're about 30. Right. Don't we? Mm. That's not how our house operated. And, of course, you're on your own, so Mm. he's got to pull his weight. Absolutely. Um, that's exactly what it was like here. It was, and my view was we all live in the house, we all clean the house, we all help. Mm. And you but, yourself, I mean, you, you yourself were working? Uh, yeah, I've done all sorts of different jobs. And I mean, example, I had one job. He Lucas was at Intermediate at the time. And I had to leave at seven in the morning and I didn't get home until five at night. And I said to him, right, you're going to have to help. Uh, we had pets and, you know, a dog and a cat and stuff like that. Um, you're going to have to help out here because I'm not going to be around to do all of this stuff. And after the first week, I came home on a Friday and walked in the door and Lucas said, right, I've done the vacuuming. I've got tea on. And can you hurry up and take your work clothes off so I can put a load of washing on? <laughs> <laughs> How old was he? How old well, was he? Uh, intermediate. What's that? 13 or 14. Eh? No, it'd be less than that. What's intermediate years? I don't know. 11 and 12. Yeah, something oh. like that. And he yeah. had to get himself to school and sort his lunch out and get himself home and get himself to um, sports practices where I'd go and pick him up afterwards, stuff like that. He, um, One story I really like, he had piano lessons as well. Um, and I worked really hard to get all this stuff for him as well. Um, so he had piano lessons and at intermediate he had made a cake and so he rode, I shouldn't actually say this publicly, but he rode his bike home with holding the cake in one hand upright <laughs> with one hand on the handlebars, dropped it off at home and then raced off to his um, 
piano lesson. Nice. Now, um, I just lost my complete chain of thought thinking about imbalancing that cake. Uh, isn't yeah, that crazy? Did you feel, Tanya, different to the other parents at school and how you were raising them? Absolutely. Yes. Tell I me. Did. Um, I guess there's a lot of, well, okay, well, I'll start off with two parent families because what I did work out was a bonus to have a second person, but because there was only one of me, there was no room to indulge. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, there wasn't ever that opportunity to say, I'll oh, go and talk to the other person about it. And there was also two people to do everything. So the kids, and I coach lots of sports teams. I coach the hockey and um, the cricket, and I did a bit of softball and stuff like that. And it was always just me. And I was thinking, you know, I was the one that would volunteer. I've got the least amount of time and I would be the one there. And I found that they, um, I guess I observed that other parents didn't seem to, actually I shouldn't say that, it's very judgmental. No, no, They didn't seem to have as much, they couldn't fit in as much as what I would fit in. It's that old story about ask a busy person if you want something done. Yeah, yeah. But they, and because there's two of them, the kids didn't seem to be as capable or as not, actually that's not true either. All kids are capable if you give them the opportunity. They didn't seem to be as motivated or um, didn't have that certain sort of thought pattern to look for opportunities and and be creative and stuff like that because I think a lot of stuff was done for them. The thing I observe is that men don't seem to be very manly and the mums seem to be overly motherly. You know what I mean? That mother, oh, yeah. mother, mother, mother. I got mother. father's day cards. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, helping kids, helping kids get their shoes on, helping kids get their jacket on. Um, I see parents uh, taking their kids to school in the car and carrying their bags for them. And you think, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Um, Mum carrying a kid, a boy's bag. No, no, no. So, Lucas, did you feel different growing up with your mum, having a sole mum uh, as a parent and having a mum that's a bit hard-assed? Yeah, I'd say quite a bit different from just all the other kids at primary school. But You felt it? Yeah, I'd say so. Well, not significantly, but I'd say there's a difference. Um, just I know the other kids at school just didn't seem to – value time as much mm. value it, there yeah do you think you learned that off your mum or do you think it's genetic it's in her um mm. yeah i'd say maybe learned it learned oh, i'm not too sure maybe maybe it's genetics but i'd say you could teach people to value things who's um, mowing the lawns while you're in australia so we actually I had to give away my business because I taking the year off. Okay. Um, so we were mowing them up until about April, and then we started. A boy at roller hockey said he was quite keen, and I thought I may as well like carry it on and see if I can find another business kid. Good. So I got another uh, friend to do. To do. I think he's fourteen to start it and pick it up from April, and he's still going now. Great. Now tell me what you learned 
you think in hindsight from having this business for 10 years? I'd say lots of just dedication and stuff. So, because sometimes you just didn't really feel like, I know the first couple of years or maybe not years, months, Tanya had to kind of push me to actually, it's your business, go in it. Like, we need to get out and do the lawns, and it's up to the parent to push the kids. And then at some point, I don't know when, but it just switched. We, you start being motivated, and even though you don't, really want to go out in the winter in the rain to mow lawns you kind of have to to it's a and how did you price the job how were you paid by the hour by the lawn by the week we started off with just for the just a rough estimate of the lawn we looked at it and said it'll take about this long but later on we kind of did a dollar a minute we thought that was quite worked out quite well so a dollar a minute yeah, because wow. Tanya and I are quick, so um, that includes all the fuel and travel usually. Yes. So and if it took us, yeah, 15 minutes, it'd be $15, $20. Yeah. And would you have to travel to some of these, uh, like you'd have, because you've got a lawnmower, did your mum sometimes have to take you in the car with the lawnmower in it to get to the job? Yeah, so that was, um, originally Tanya wanted me to, see the price like have all the business expenses including car fuel so originally she wanted me to pay for travel because a lot of the jobs aren't close by we had a couple that were 15 20 minutes away Mm -hmm. Um, but then we negotiated and decided that if i mow the home lawns you know every two weeks or so then she'll cover the price of traveling Uh, around so did you there was a little bit more to that. Tell me. There was a little bit more to it. So, yeah, I wanted him to be aware that, um, you know, costs of business include your travelling costs. So I used to charge him a little bit, not much. But but the reason why I stopped that um, was I've never given him pocket money. I have not bought him really anything. You know, he gets Christmas presents and birthday presents. And so I said to him, so my part of this, driving you to the jobs and helping you out and stuff like that is my contribution to pocket money that you've never had. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But he did negotiate the prices down earlier than that. He goes, well, <laughs> he was the one who negotiated. What about if I do this? And then you drop the travel cost to this. And I was like, yeah, right then. Good negotiating. <laughs> did you find that growing up in your household, Lucas, was a bit what we might say transactional? But capitalist? Well, not too much, just odd negotiations. You felt the love still. Yeah, yeah. It's still family house. Did you have did you have to put the price up of mowing the lawns for someone that had been there a long time? Did you have to say, look, um, things have gone up, I'm gonna have to increase the price? Yeah, I did that a couple of times for the ones that stayed at quite a stayed with us for a few years, um, put it up twice, I think, two or three times, just $4 increases, I think, just to keep up with inflation. Because um, that's quite hard in a business, isn't it? Because yeah. you have your customers and then everything's happy, but then you're looking at your costs going up and you think, yeah. well, I feel like I need to put the price up, but the customer's going to look at me and say, well, it used to cost, X last week and now it's Y, but it's still the same thing. 
Yeah. And then they start thinking about it. And it also makes them a little, it, it can potentially make them a little bit grumpy. But you just have yeah. to bite the bullet on that. Yeah, well, luckily all my customers were really nice and I think they were willing to put the price up even for the same product because they understand the mm. And what were you what were you doing with your money, Lucas? Oh, a lot of the time I was saving it, just save up for I know a big purchase. I think my first one was a tablet. Nice. Something. Um saved up for that and then just kept I think the next one was a fishing kayak and stuff like that. Um, wow, big stuff, not little stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't really I wouldn't spend money too often on little like toy things that And I did I hear it correctly that you learnt the piano as well? Yes. Yeah. I did that for six years. Do you yeah. still play? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I haven't done lessons in a while. I guess, I guess it's quite hard when you're moving around because, you know, you don't take yeah. a piano with you. So yeah. how did you go at school? Um, pretty good. I think throughout most of school I was doing average because I don't know, I didn't really. I feel like I understood a lot of the academic stuff, understand the concepts, but I wasn't very good at tests. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then in the later years of high school, year 12 and 13, I started, the grades got quite good because I always tried my best. It would just not result in mm. a really good mark. So year 12 and 13, it just picked up. And year 13, I got top of three subjects, so economics, accounting and graphics. Wow. Um, good for you. Top. Yeah. Oh, so I think. 1600 boys so goodness me it was, and i was happy with that and you did a little bit of sport yeah lots of hockey a lot is hockey a good sport yeah i really enjoy it um yeah pr that pretty much went from april to october every year of school and mum was your coach all the way through or just some other time uh she coached up until High school, I think, mm. kind of. So primary school and then a little bit intermediate and then high school. Um, it was she kind of just would review the game with me <laughs> after each game because I would always talk about how it went and stuff like that. And yeah. are you still playing hockey? Yeah. So I was playing hockey last season. Um this year, <laughs> sorry, I just saw Tanya doing something. <laughs> um, this year, I'm still I'm playing in Australia. Uh, I played for half the season, and the finals are coming up next week and the week after. Um, and I actually got offered uh, by a company in Queensland to represent Queensland in uh, a Europe tour. So I joined no a team. Way go around Europe playing hockey for 20 days. So that's coming up next year. So you must be hot at hockey. I'd say pretty good for for my age, yeah. Is that a – what's hockey about? When I was at school, their phys ed teacher said, I'm not about to give you boys hockey sticks because you fight as it is. 
and the idea of giving you weapons um, isn't going to happen. So I never played hockey in my life. I've watched it, and my kids played it one season. What's the skill that you need in hockey? Obviously, you've got to have good eye coordination. I guess you've got to have a strategy like soccer about getting down the field, and you've got to be fast. It must be quite yeah. hard. Yeah, I'd say actually quite a big part of it's also mental game, which I found out early in high school. Oh, um, really? Just because you might do a bad pass, and if you dwell on that the whole game, yes, you just go downhill from there. But um, yeah, I'd say coordination, hand-eye coordination with the stick, like racket sports, and just practice. And you practiced a lot and played a lot. Yeah, Is it hard? Is it hard to find yourself in a new team because they're not where you think they're going to be, or can you quickly slot into a new team? I'd say I, I can quickly slot. I slotted in the team I'm playing in now pretty quickly. Um, I'd say because they have different strategies, especially in yeah. Australia and New Zealand, but mm. still the same basic skills and mm. concepts. That you Did you – they – they must have found you quite exciting, given that you're, let's just say, modestly better than average. They must have been quite excited for you turning up to play with them. Yeah, they seemed pretty excited. Um, <laughs> did they uh, know how good you were before you took to the field, or did they get a fright on the day? I think they got a fright on the day because <laughs> I got an email just saying, yeah, you can show up for practice because I played for all the clubs here. Yeah. Well, not applied, just contacted them. And these guys were the first ones I, um, they, that got back to me. So I showed up to practice and played some, scored a few goals, and they were like, oh, definitely, you should go on our A grade team. Good for you. Now, you finished school. Yes. Yep. Did well at sport. Top student amongst 1,600 boys in three subjects. What are you doing now? So I'm currently on my gap year. Um, what the hell is a gap year? I never heard of it. <laughs> just between, I guess, travel for a year. Um, so I'm in Australia now, obviously, and September I'm going to Japan to learn Japanese um, for until December. And next year I plan to do uni um, and probably a degree in construction, but I'm still looking for opportunities. I'm very open to different options. Um, yeah. So you're travelling around Australia. Are you working in Australia? Yeah, I actually just recently got a job. Thanks for fitting me in for this interview because it's been pretty pretty busy around my mm. schedule. Um, yeah, and that's doing sign writing, um, which is Quite, I found quite interesting, strangely. Because you got top in graphic design. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, we did a lot of architecture for graphics, mm -hmm. so it's a bit different. But, yeah, it's the same. I had a summer job before I left to come to Australia, which was in the construction industry, and I, I found it, I find it quite similar to that. Mm. Similar. When you say in the construction industry, is that building houses or something else? Yeah, that I kind of I went to a local construction company and said, "Could I 
help out. I want to do a degree in construction. I think it'd be good to get some experience in the industry. So they said, yeah, sure, we'll get you as like a mix of uh, labouring on site and admin in the office to get a wow. overview of what's happening. And you took yourself off to the business to do that? Yes, yeah, and put on my <laughs> like a flash shirt and a tie and dressed up nice and went to them. And I had to go back a second time to um, a node to revisit, I guess, and give them my CV again, but they took it because they were pretty busy, so, yeah. Well, you got the job. And have you tried to learn Japanese at school or anything? Or is it new? No, they they didn't actually offer it at my high school, but um, I've been the friend I'm staying with currently. She's fluent in Japanese, and so over lockdown as well, I um, Tanya and I arranged Zoom calls once a week to do Japanese. Mm, good for you. So you're going to get. Uh, and what's your goal with learning Japanese? Why do you, why Japanese in particular? I kind of thought I, I was keen to learn a language and thought that Japan's pretty I, it's a pretty good country for business and yeah. producing things so I thought uh, uh, why not pick a language that's <laughs> will be helpful in business in the future and also um, yeah just good that's for you. pretty much good for pretty you. much well it. Tanya you must be very, yes. very proud of your son. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd be proud of him for any one of those many things he's achieved in, at 18. Yeah. And and he's a great credit to your motherhood, may I say. Well, people say that, and I say I'm just really lucky because i got a good one. Yeah, I know there's a bit <laughs> of that too, I think, but... Um, you got to get a good one. You got to have good genes, and then, but you got to like a plant. You got to provide a good environment. Now, <clears throat> are you missing him? Uh, well, we talk pretty much. I don't know either daily or every second day on FaceTime. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the things I said to him because he's been so busy with, he mentioned hockey, but I mean, there was a year there where he was in four different hockey teams. So it was hockey every single day of the week with practices. And one year he also was in a soccer team. And he also does whitewater kayaking. And we also both were playing roller hockey. And then school. And then he had a part-time job and the lawns. So for years it was busy, busy, busy. So I said to him, just go and be a teenager. Mm. Just, you know, just chill, go to some concerts, hang out with people, do stuff like that. So he's been doing some odd jobs and stuff like that. But actually, just before this call, Rodney, he he phoned me, um, you know, because I said, we're, we're having a chat about this. And he said, yeah, so, yeah, I'm probably, yeah, I'm just taking the day off. And I said, Jim, do you think you've caught my disease where you can't just sit down and have the day off? <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, actually, Carol, who's the... Um, her husband said, yeah, I think you've caught that disease off, off your mother and off Carol. <laughs> you can't just sit and relax. Now, so, tell me yes, I do miss him, absolutely. That was a very long answer to that. But I really want him to 
Go see the world. Go do what he wants. Follow his mm. his dreams. And I just want to add, way, way back when he was about, I don't know, 13, 14 like us, his plan was I'm going to get um, get in the black sticks for hockey and then I'm going to get headhunted by a European team and I'll play for a team in Europe, right? So, mm-hmm. And I went, cool, that sounds great. So the fact that he got invited to go and play in this team, I was like, it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. And what's the prospect <laughs> for the black sticks? I don't know. Oh. We have to ask Lucas about that. What do you think, Lucas? Well, whether I want to, are you saying? Or are you I good enough? Yeah, I'd say not quite yet, but if I train really hard, I think I'm – Wow. If I did that as a full-on career, for, well, for while I'm still young, I feel like it's definitely possible. And is it an ambition still? Yeah, I'd say so. Getting into it, I think the uni is like a – backup of kind of just a solid foundation for mm. I don't know just a job in the future or business in the future and then I can go do stuff outside of that um, and then if I get nice. selected I can go play for Europe in Europe for a club or New Zealand yeah good on you well, can that's... I just add can I just add one more thing about the hockey thing? Um, he's. I mean, what, you asked before, what do you, what does it take to be a good hockey player? You need to be motivated and driven, which he is. During lockdown as well, he had decided he was going to university in Auckland, hadn't decided quite what he was doing. Um, but the reason he picked Auckland is because the best hockey clubs are in Auckland. Uh-huh. And he found uh, an apartment to rent that was near the university, plotted it all out and said, so there's a hockey turf here, there's a hockey turf there, um, and there's a supermarket around the corner from his apartment. And so I will um, go to university and then I'll join one of these clubs and that's how I'm getting in the black sticks. This was like three years ago. I said, you know that apartment's not going to be there in three years, eh? He goes, yeah, but that's my plan. I've got it all mapped out. There'll be one like it. Now tell me about the lockdown. How was that? And this is why we have you on the show, because you developed something that would be of interest to our listeners. Well, yeah. Let's go with Tanya first, Lucas. Okay. Well, to be honest, I, you know, I, I bet you've heard a lot of people say I enjoyed it. Um, there, and part of that was because we were so busy all of the time, it was a um, forced pause. Mm. And so, and there was lots of stuff that had to be done around the house. Um, Lucas managed to get me to ride a bike, which I'm not really keen on. Um, so we would go for a bike ride every day, take the dog for a bike ride, um, she couldn't actually, she was very unfit, so we'd have to carry her in a backpack until Lucas made a trailer for his bike, welded a trailer for his bike for her. But there was also, you know, we did tons of stuff around the house. We ate well, um, we rested, we hung out. I kind of liked it. Mm. Because previous to the lockdown, you were in the car, boom, boom, here, bang, uh, pick them up, oh, look at your watch, oh, here, here, go home, oh, cook tea, oh, get into bed. Yep. And your day was gone, yep. but you loved that too. You love being uh, busy. I think we both like being busy, and it's also a skill to learn to sit and relax, which is, mm. I think, both of us quite kind. Of, but I mean, we would have afternoons. We would lie on the couch with a blanket and watch a movie, and mm. that was something that wasn't fitted into our lives much. Mm. Mm. And talk. Yeah. 
And you started ideas. A, you started a web page, Lucas. Yes. So um, in lockdown, since we had quite a bit of time, I was actually looking up ways to make a product that can be made once to a high quality and then sold multiple times. Mm -hmm. So that we could do it in lockdown and then once we come out of lockdown, it keeps selling. Yeah. And that was build your own business kit. Um, yes. Which is just an online course that Tanya and I made. That took a lot longer than we thought. <laughs> we thought originally maybe a weekend or a week. Well, that was me, sorry. Tanya knew it would take ages, but I thought maybe over a week in lockdown we could get it all filmed and edited, made. But um, tell us yeah, about the, tell us about your concept for the course and tell us about the course that you've made. Yeah, essentially it's teaching parents actually rather than the kids. It applies to both, but teaching the parents to encourage or how to create an environment similar to Tanya did, uh, similar to what Tanya did for me, um, where you enable your kid to make a business and, and keep pushing them, and grow a hard work ethic and give them the opportunity. To and that's a, that's a course born of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you did it for 10 years. So it's not yeah. like... It's not like someone from university saying, oh, here's how you do this, or a psychologist. This is a mother and a son, a mother who created the environment for an eight-year-old boy, which is extraordinary, I might say, start a business mowing lawns, but not just mowing the neighbor's lawn, but actually setting it up as a business, working out its costs and its prices, working out how it's all going to go, and then to sustain that business as it needs refreshing and prices to go up for 10 years and to keep at it when it's wet, when it's dry, when it's cold, when you're tired and um, when you're busy. Yeah. And <clears throat> would you say now, as a result of having that lawnmower business, you will be a business owner one day? Yeah, I would say I'd be quite keen to own a business um, because most yeah. kids don't go through school thinking of owning their own business they always think of getting a good job yeah but to yeah. me I'm trying to bring my kids up to go through school thinking of owning a business and I yeah. say to them what would you rather do work for people or have them work for you yeah and be a billionaire yeah yeah, I'd say the lawn mowing business definitely helped that because at one point I actually thought about hiring staff and getting some of my 12-year-old friends to come yes. mow the lawn as well. <laughs> you could have franchised it even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, you could have done, you could have expanded your business. No, it's exactly right. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, Tanya, tell me about the course from your perspective as mum. Because you're the star of the show, you created the environment. Uh, well, Lucas came to me with this idea. He goes, "Hey Tanya, why don't we build a training program to teach uh, kids? Uh, sorry, to teach parents how to build their own business, kid." And I went, 
oh my god that's genius mm. why haven't I thought of that <laughs> which actually and and that bit there is very significant because he came up with the idea because of the environment that had been mm. brought up in you know to mm. look for opportunities um and so immediately I said to Lucas this is going to be more than a month it took um the best part of a year to film all the modules and put it all together and edit it. And, and then all of our spare time was spent working on this Build Your Own Business Kid training program. But what I think we both didn't realise is how much he got out of it. It wasn't about money and it wasn't about mowing lawns. There were so many things that he actually had gotten out of running his own little business. It was, you know, his confidence was built up, his communication with adults was good. Um, he... When he said just, you know, he's he's very humble, my boy, oh, I got top of accounting. He only took accounting at school in the last year, in his very wow. last year, and got top. So he had learned all of the accounting concepts and business concepts through running his business. Mm. So for me, um, you know, there was it was fun doing it. There was times it wasn't fun <laughs> filming it, but most of it was fun. Um, but I was quite shocked, and I think Lucas might be too. I was like, wow, you have gotten so much out of this. And what I had gotten out of it, of having a business kid, like he'd pushed me, he pushed me to grow. Mm. You know, I was it's like, a wonderful you know, I've gone thing. down this road. It's a wonderful thing that we don't think about, isn't it? Uh, um, about entrepreneurialism and uh, having customers and performing a service and earning your money, keeping account of your money, keeping account of your costs, all of these things that you can learn from a humble business of mowing lawns. It's extraordinary. And um, you learn that. You can't learn that if you get a job, you know, working for someone. But when you're mowing the lawns, you, well, you learn a lot working for someone, but you learn so much more by having the business as a kid, right? Mm, absolutely. And the project yeah. is real. You do. You, I notice the kids at school, they do all these projects, but they're sort of play projects. But when you're running a business, it's a real business because people are giving you real money and they want a real job done. Yeah. 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 So, and, and I mean – the people he's worked for, you know, he just also very humbly said, I got a job in a construction company, um, you know, for this construction company. Or I had, after he'd been there for, what, three months, four months or something, and he was yeah. getting ready to leave, the own, the boss of the company rang me to tell me what a fantastic worker he was, what a great lad he was. Um, he oh. just fits into any job. Oh. You tell him to do this, he goes and does it. He he looks at things, he notices things, he doesn't walk past that piece of paper on the floor and not pick it up. Oh. And it's, all of that has come from... <laughs> and uh, even in Australia, um, my friend sent me a um, screenshot of a a comment that the neighbour had, had sent her um, that, oh, my God, whoever, you know, Lucas had gone and done some work in her yard, water blasting or something or other, and she'd said, whoever parents raised this boy, they should be so proud. There you go. What well, my yard looks amazing. And all of those things. Not It's not just from lawn mowing. I think it was from, you know, it's from things like, hey, you haven't got a, done a good job there, Lucas. Go and do that again. Either do so it properly what, or don't do it. What should be happening is that there are parents listening to the show there are grandparents listening to the show 
and they should say, actually, I think little Sam or little Samantha, this would be right up her street or his street um, in terms of preparing her uh, to be a good citizen. And they don't have to go through the hard learning process too much because there's a little bit of guidance at the start. They can go onto your webpage. How do they find your webpage? Uh, it's well, it's the course is on Udemy. Udemy, I don't know what that is. You have to tell yeah. everyone. What oh, is. it's a Lucas. Actually, Lucas knows more about this. Lucas, than, he did Udemy? all the research for this. Yeah. I I did the um, click clack of the thing going. Um, what do you call it? Action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell Lucas, me what Udemy um, is. Lucas. How do I find you your show? It. Um, Udemy is an online marketplace for all the different courses people create from any course that you can think of, pretty much. Um, oh, really? How do you spell yeah. Udemy? Uh, U-D-E-M-Y. Actually, I have heard of that. I have seen that. Udemy. Nice. So I go yeah. on to Udemy, and then how do I find your particular course? Um, the easiest way would be to search it up in the search bar at the top. Yes, what is? Build your own business kit, and it will show up at the top there. Build your own business kit. And is there a little bit of an introduction that I can see about what I'm getting for my money? Yeah, we've put some introduction videos in like a, almost like a trailer somewhere. I've seen them. I've seen yeah. them. Very, What's very cool? impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Now, what's it cost, the course? I believe it's currently at 30 New Zealand dollars. Or, uh, no. 30 US dollars, my bad. No, no, it's less than that. Is it? I was looking Sorry. at it last night. I thought I saw they keep I, th I thought I saw nineteen dollars. Yeah, it's less like us. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. it's a very reasonable price because I was thinking about I've got three kids. I'm thinking ten years mowing lawns, you know, I'm doing the sums. But of course, that's rude because the reason for doing this is to produce good citizens. And that is to say, citizens that grow up with respect for themselves and for others, respect for a day's job, and a respect for money and what you have to do to get it, and not to take anything of that for granted. And I think, Lucas, you have grown up with that, and you're a great credit to yourself and to your mum. And I think if you can market this to our listeners and to other people, we would have a better future than we otherwise would. So you, you're doing good. You're making money doing good, which is how it works, right? You know, people are only going to yeah. pay you if they get their lawns mowed and they feel good about their lawns and then you get the money. And so both are better off. Well, you're doing a great thing here because you're encouraging parents to get their kids to learn the sort of skills they need to be successful in life. And here you are, you're about, you're in Australia on your own at 18 and you're working, uh, you're making your way in sport. You're off to Japan to learn Japanese and I'm sure you'll get work there. And you're potentially off to Europe uh, to play hockey on a sponsorship deal and go to university. How exciting is your life? 
Yeah, definitely. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And it all started eight years old mowing lawns, picking up a hockey stick. Yep. Isn't it great? Well, uh, everyone, if you want to have a look at that, check it out because it is quite fun. I saw the promo, Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y, and then build your own business kit. Just have a look at the promotion and send it round on social media because I'm sure you'll know people that will be thinking, oh, you know, a bit worried about, you know, so-and-so, my son, what can he do, yada, 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 yada. Start a business, you know. Do yeah. something. There's a lot of people down the road that need jobs done. Um, get them out there doing gardening jobs. It'd be fantastic. I look yeah. forward to hearing from you, Lucas. I want to hear how you get on in Australia. I want to hear how you yeah. get on in Japan. Uh, I think you've got a bright future, but here's the thing. It's only just starting. And it's yes. going to get even better, but especially with your attitude and especially if you work hard. Tanya? You're an inspiration as a mum. Thank you. I feel as though you need to do a video, you to me, on how to be a good mum, which is to love your child unconditionally, to support your child unconditionally, but not to over-mother them. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes. Because... Um, I don't think we're doing too good a job at that when I look around around me, self, around me, around me, around the around the country. I see mothers who are smothering their children and not letting them be adults. Uh, I think there's a huge assumption that kids are well, they actually I think people underestimate kids. They're capable mm. of all sorts of things if you give them the opportunity. And yeah. they'll follow your lead. Mm. One of the Sorry. silly things I do too with kids is I think, oh, well, you know, I'm worried that if I get them working, mowing lawns and that, that, you know, their school will suffer. But what Lucas showed is it's not a zero-sum game. He worked, uh, he did sport, and he did very well at school. So um, it, it's it's not a one or the other. Uh, you can do everything. And indeed, uh, by working, uh, you could create the conditions and an attitude towards work that allow them to succeed in their studies and in their sport. Mm. Yes, and, and I mean another bonus that's come out of this is he's developed really good relationships mm. and I think um, living online these days um, a lot of people are missing out on how do you develop a good relationship and he's you know he's he belongs to a kayak club he goes away on kayak trips with who I call his old mates mm. they're all basically retired um, because I think because he's learned how to develop relationships how to communicate with people that's another, I think that's a huge thing that he's gotten out of it. Mm. Well, um, I think all of that's true, and I'm very impressed. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Radley Check Radio. We've been talking to Tanya and Lucas Chapel on how to build your own business kit. You can go and find that at Udemy. Just search, go to Udemy. It's a web page and search for Build Your Own Business Kit. Let's do that. Imagine if we brought, a, brought up a generation of business kids and had kids who could actually fend for themselves, employ others, uh, run businesses, uh, rather than hang around shopping malls gazing at their phones. Thank you very much. It was Tanya Chapel and Lucas Chapel, And there's Lucas, off in Australia, off to Japan, potentially off to Europe playing soccer, ah, hockey, and 
back to New Zealand to study. What a great young man. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Uh, you're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You can send me an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio and please do or text me at 2057. We've got our stalwart, our favourite, our gardening guru, Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Rodney, and good morning, listeners. Oh, well, the listeners love you, and I um, I don't know what they like most, your brilliance and guru status for us or me stumbling along learning to be a gardener with your help. But I've got lots to report. My well, little lettuces are growing rather well uh, in my glass house that I planted very, very early, and I've even had a good strike of carrots. Um, what happens to them uh, over this time, I don't know, in my tunnel house. And I've put my potatoes out um, to grow their little shoots. Mm -hmm. And I prepared the ground so it's already to go in. And I went to the countdown and I, no, pack and save. I don't shop at countdown anymore because they went woke. Pack and save. And I bought some Vivaldi potatoes and blow me down. I cooked a few and then in the bottom, they sprouted. So um, I rushed them out to my garden and had the joy of planting them. And nice. I, dug a, I dug a double spade length uh, trench, lots of manure, and placed them in and just covered them over the top. So I'm very excited, although it's still cold. In fact, it's uh, been a little bit of snow here. But nice. um, that's my excitement for the week, uh, Wally. Now, in your newsletter, you talk tomatoes. Mm -hmm. For some reason, tomatoes frighten me. Like, like what? Sorry, frighten me. Like to grow. Frighten them. me. Yeah, 
Because it seems quite tough to grow a tomato, like happy putting in the lettuce seed and the carrot seeds and sort of things like that. But for some reason, tomatoes strike me as a big ask to get a tomato to grow and produce that beautiful tomato. And I love tomatoes. I could eat tomatoes all day long. Right. So tell me about growing tomatoes for me and my listeners. What do we need to do? Okay. Well, at this time of the year, you'll see in the garden centres, Mitre 10s, et cetera, um, there'll be the early tomato plants, which more than likely will be early girl, which is a nice medium-sized tomato, um, good flavour, ideal for the home garden, and Sweet 100, which is uh, an excellent plant to grow. You don't want to grow too many of the Sweet 100s because they produce lots and lots of bite-sized tomatoes, which are perfect to just uh, throw straight in your salad when they're ripe. With the, are those the little ones stuff. smaller than a cherry? Yeah, they're okay. just about the size of a marble or a bit yeah. bigger. Um, depends. Right. At the moment. And tell me this, that early tomatoes, what does it mean that a tomato's early? Uh, it'll ripen early or produce fruit early. Okay. Right. Um, actually, any tomato would do, like even the big beefsteak tomatoes, you could be starting them off now if you could get hold of them, right, okay. unless you germinate your own seed. Um, they take longer to mature and ripen, etc. And what most of us tomato growers like to do is get our tomatoes in as early as possible and have them with ripe fruit as quickly as possible before Christmas um, and before the glut happens in the market and the prices then come down. So while the price is expensive for growing a kilo of um, tomatoes, um, it's ideal to be able to pick your own for free, for yeah. sure. Right. Got it. Okay. Now, if you've got a glass house or a tunnel house, uh, excellent. One aspect, though, if you're growing in the soil of your uh, tunnel house, glass house, the soil is still pretty cold right? And you can plant your tomato plant and it'll sit there and it'll sulk. It won't grow much. It's feet are cold. Yeah, because it's feet cold, right? So I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And I sulk when my feet are cold. I go up and try and help my kids in skiing and I'm standing on that bloody snow. And if my feet get cold, I sulk. Um, so I can understand a tomato plant feeling a little upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we put some socks on the tomato. Well, oh. not actually. What we do is we make a hole, reasonable deep, like a spade depth, and then we go out and mow the lawn. Hopefully it's not too wet to mow, and we get a catcher full of clippings, and we stuff that into the bottom of the hole, and then put some soil over the top of that, and then you put in any nutrients that you want, like sheep manure, pellets, chook manure, um, Wally's Secret Tomato Food with them uh, added. That's yeah. a very good one. And then you put a, a good layer of soil right up to basically soil level because we're going to make it quite a reasonably deep hole to plant the young seedling in because we want to plant it right up to the first two leaves 
or a bit beyond. Now, they were the embryo leaves that the plant had initially when it sprouted, right? So you don't plant it up to where it was planted in the punnet. You plant no. it deeper, right That's up to the leaves. Yeah, yeah. What? Now, the reason for it is like potatoes. It will then produce shoots, or roots, should I say, all the way up that's under the soil. Now, you notice on an older plant later on, you'll get aerial roots, little bumps happening towards the base. They would be roots if the plant was buried that deep. Okay. Right? Now, the idea is the more roots you've got, the better the plant because there's more feeding from down below. Got it. So up to the first leaves, and it's it's nicely buried. If by chance it's one of these super toms or a grafted tomatoes, you can't do that. If you did that, you'd be covering the graft and you'd kill it because okay. it would rot, right? How do, I, how do I know it's grafted? Does it say that on the pot? You'll pay a lot more money for it. Okay, we won't get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and it will say it's grafted, yeah. Okay. In the old days, we used to have super toms, right? That company is gone. Um, They're they're a great company. They had the earliest tomatoes out in the market, always early girl, ones like that. Um, And, yeah, they retired. Uh, I think they sold the business, but it fell over afterwards. So a grafted tomato has a rootstock with a top grafted on it or something, does it? What they do is they have the rootstock, yes, of a very vigorous tomato, right, which is not a good tomato, but it's got a very strong root system. And and they splice it and put the two together. They join very easily with a bit of, um, uh, what's the name, tape around them, grafting tape, and that's how you buy them. Um, oh. And you only plant them at the same level as what they are in the pot they come in. And they are always individual. They're never in a cell pack or anything. Yeah. And you pay probably about 6 $8 or something for them. I don't know. Um, and they're good because you get a strong root system with the good tomatoes, early tomatoes on the top. Right. Um, supposedly. If everything goes right and you feed them well, they should produce the equivalent of three tomatoes plants. Wow. Right? In fact, you grow them in that uh, trident uh, formation of three, what's that, three stakes, because you take a couple of the early laterals and take them up, they'll become um, part of your mature plant, and then you've got the central one. So that's the ideal way to do it. It's like having three tomatoes in the space of one, which for space saving, that's quite good. So they're not that expensive if you pull it off because you're getting three plants for the price of one. If you do it right, yeah. And Um, is doing it right meaning the stakes and the nutrients? Stakes, nutrients, and training. Now, okay. All, all tomato plants will produce what we call laterals. Now, laterals are those side growths that come between the trunk and the leaf, right? Yeah. Now, with um, there's different types. There's terminate, 
and indeterminate tomato plants. Indeterminate is the ones that go way up high. In fact, they're vines. Terminate is the dwarf tomatoes, like um, Russian red uh, is a dwarf tomato. Scoresbury dwarf is a uh, dwarf tomato. On dwarf tomatoes, they only grow about a metre tall, but they spread, and you don't take the laterals off them. You let them go, right? There's a lot of tricks in growing tomatoes. So I you can can, see, I'm actually back being scared. Uh, I can see why your concerns are, because there's so much involved in it. Like, say, for instance, okay, if you want your plant to produce good, big, Size tomatoes, and depending upon variety, beef steak will produce a big tomato, uh, money maker, medium sized tomato, and then you've got your um, sweet 100s, a small tomato, right? Now, if you want to produce the best sized tomatoes for the type of plant, you remove all the laterals, right? Yeah. So it's only one trunk going up. Yeah, and the fruit sets on that particular one, and so, it's not being shaded by the other laterals and leaves, I guess. Yes, true. And, um, all, and all the goodness is going into those tomatoes, right? Where if you leave the laterals on, you're going to have lots of branches and probably end up with about five or six stakes to to keep them all supported when they get to maturity. Um, you, the result of that. That they're not all going to get enough food to make full potential. I see. So you tend to get a lot of average tomatoes. Okay. Right. Can I just back up a little bit? Because I remember you telling me early on, and this is just to prove that I listen, and we were discussing lettuces, and the question was, do you plant lettuces from seeds? Or do you buy the little lettuces already grown? I can't recall what they were called. But, you know, in the punnets, and you have mm -hmm. the lettuce that's a couple of inches high. And I remember you suggesting, and correct me if I've got this wrong, that when you plant them out, they get a bit of a shock, and it takes mm -hmm. them a while to get their equilibrium. And it's not that big a saving in time, to be growing the lettuces from seeds. So I had always assumed that I would grow my tomatoes from seeds because it's cheaper and I, I wouldn't yeah why why would I why would I grow tomatoes from seedlings that's the word rather than seeds. Okay. If you want an early start and you haven't got the means to propagate, um, then to buy seedlings is a good idea. What's propagate um, mean? Propagate. Propagate means to germinate the seeds yourself. Can, can I just put them in the ground? Um, once again, you need warmth. Now, soil temperature for most seeds has to be at least 10 degrees, mm. right? And if you get your thermometer out and stick it in the ground and, and take a reading and you find it's not 10 degrees, you're wasting your time. The seed will either sit there and sprout when the, the temperature comes up 
or alternately, if it's too wet, it might just rot in the ground and never come up. So buying the seedlings is a more surefire bet and also because your aim isn't to get tomatoes when it's easy because that's when they're cheap. Your aim is to get your tomatoes when it's tougher because that's when you're having to pay a lot for your tomato and you wouldn't bother. Yep, yep. The earlier you can crop. Yeah, so for an early crop, you're better to get tomato seedlings. Yes, unless you've already germinated. Now, oh, well, I have ke- so. keen gardeners would have a propagation pad, which is a heat pad, yeah, which gives a temperature of about 20 degrees. They would sit their little um, pots or whatever uh, with the seed in on top of that, and there's the under warmth. They would germinate, and they normally do that in the house um, because they don't have electricity in their um, glass house. Yeah. But the problem is, and I've already struck this with one person, sent me a picture. It wasn't a tomato plant. It was, um, I think it was a capsicum or an eggplant. I couldn't tell. But he had germinated inside because he thought it was warmer, and he left it inside on the windowsill. And on the thing, light. Poor thing was stretching. like <laughs> It was about five inches long and thin as a rake and yellow as a as It's like us. Me. Tying us down on the chair beside the fridge. We have to crane yeah. our neck out and get bent. Okay. You now, need overhead light. Yes. Most now, important. I'm going to get some seedlings. I'm going to check. Well, down in Otago here, um, in my tunnel house, would you say about now for some seedling tomatoes? Yes. Now, if you, you're in open soil, aren't you? Uh, no. I have. I have in my tunnel house. I have a um, what's it? A bench. I built a, I built a. It's like a table high where I have right. my soil, and it's filled with soil and manure. Okay, so you could. Um, Does that mean open soil? The open soil just means a sort of ground. The ground. No, it's not on the ground. It's up. It's up like a bench, so I don't have to bend yeah, over. Yeah. 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 Right. So initially, you'd grow there. Would would you plant them in the soil in the glasshouse later on? Well, I was going to ask you. <laughs> huh? I was going to ask you. <laughs> I was going to ask you what to do. I don't know well, what I would do. Well, you've got soil in the glasshouse, the ground. I got a little. I got a little mm-hmm. at each end, if you know what I mean. But I was right. wondering if that would be a bit blocked for light because it's sort of. If you can picture it, I've built two raised gardens. I walk between them. And ah, right. Bit, okay, and I'm with you. There's a wee bit of space at each end, but it's actually quite small because I thought, oh, this is going to be cool and upright, and I filled it up with uh, horse manure. It's beautiful soil, and right. it was cook, cooking warm for quite a while. As winters approach, it's probably down to 10, 12 okay. degrees. Well, and so, um, and it's probably, oh, I'm guessing I've probably got a meter and a half, two meters height. No, a meter and a half height above that to the roof. Right. No, no, that sounds good. I'm, I've got the picture now. Um, okay. If you have got a thermometer, stick it yep. in yep. to that and just oh, get a reading of what the temperature is. Yeah. Um, it, it's probably 
still decomposing. It's yeah. probably somewhere around about 10 degrees or better. Yes, it is. Right? It is. Okay. So all you've got to do now is get your seedling. Yeah. Take it out, out of its cell pack or out of its little pot that comes yeah. in. Make a hole. If you've got um, my Wally Secret Tomato Food with Neem, yeah. Yeah. put uh, a little bit of that, about a quarter yeah. of a teaspoon at the bottom of the hole, and then plant your tomato plant seedling right up to the first two leaves yeah. on the side of the trunk, right? And the main thing then, because it's still cold, is to keep it a little bit on the dry side. Yes. Right? If if it's too wet and then on a cold night, it makes the cold more intense. Yes. Give you an example of this. If you go out on a frosty morning, bare hands, it's cold, but it's not bad. You go out with wet hands, it's mm. bloody freezing. Yeah. So the wet makes it intensifies the cold. So what you tend to do is just give them a little drink um, as necessary, and you'll probably find it doesn't need much because there's a lot of moisture already. If the leaves start to droop a bit or whatever, um, indicating that it's uh, dry, okay, give them a, a small drink, if you can, with warm water rather than chilly cold water because that's nice. And... Of course, you can spray them with the magic botanic liquid oh, straight that. off. That's good stuff. Right. Okay. So that's good. Later on, when the plants are growing, you'll get some laterals appear, right? Yeah. Now, ideally, you take the laterals off unless you want to have a more I, bushy. I don't tomato. want a bushy one because when I grew them casually last season, before I was a gardener, I sort of let them go, and they all fell over each other, and the tomatoes were on the ground, and it was a pigsty. Yeah. So I want, I'd rather plant more. I'm thinking and keeping it tidy. Right. Yep. Because okay. my laterals also pulled the tomatoes down all the time. So ideally, when you plant, also get yourself a good bamboo stake, six yep. foot tall or whatever. Yep. Um, and shove that in the ground next to it, right? Yep. So you can tie it to that later on for support, oh, no. right? Okay, that's good. Now, when it comes to removing laterals, you've got to be very careful. The, the humidity has to be very low. So you only remove laterals on a nice sunny day when the air is dry. Otherwise, a fungus will get in or something. Otherwise, botrytis gets in. It's a nice, friendly little disease, which will go down to the trunk somewhere and cause a, a rotting in the trunk, which will eventually kill the plant because it will cut the bottom off from the top. Wow. And this is always caused from either removing laterals or removing leaves and even in some cases taking fruit off the plant. It should always be done like you water, you leave it until it dries out, 
fairly much before you did it, right? And it would mean in my tunnel house having the door open for a while because the humidity is quite high in my tunnel house. Yep. Yep. Okay. You've got to dry it down. Yeah. Otherwise, there is another aspect you could do. You could take that new liquid copper, the copper nutrient, and you could spray the plant with that um, at the five mil rate. And if you've got ordinary copper, fungicide, um, you could have that made up in a little trigger sprayer. And when you take a lateral or a leaf off, you just give it a squirt over the wound to seal it, right? Well, I'm going on to Wally's webpage after this. I'm going to have to make a list because I'm going to I'm going to have to make a list, Wally. I'm going to need the new, what is it, the new Wally's secret tomato food? With neem, yes. With neem. Yeah, yeah. The neem is important because one of the worst problems of growing tomato plants is they are very attracted to whitefly. Okay. And in a glasshouse situation, whitefly breed like rattlesnakes. They really okay. breed badly, right? And if you can avoid um, whitefly getting started or yeah. stop them before they get going, um, you won't have a problem about January period where you walk in, touch a plant, and you get all these little white flies up your nose because oh, no, no, there's no, thousands no. of them, right? And then we need the the new copper. The copper um, nutrient, yeah. You Wally's super copper nutrient. Yeah. Wow, you're great, Wally. Wally's super and the plant food, oh, the tomato food, is Wally's secret tomato food. Got it. Now, me. you mentioned earlier that there are, <clears throat> I know you've covered this with me, there are indeterminate and determinate and dwarf tomato seedlings. What they Right. Are? The dwarf plants are the determinant because they yeah. grow tall. Right. Do they need a stake? Um, generally speaking, no. Um, like Scoresbury Dwarf, uh, if you can get hold of Scoresbury Dwarf, nice big tomato, uh, lots of them on a plant that's about a metre tall and a metre spread, right? Um, they can need a little bit of staking, but generally not. You're indeterminate. They could actually be a vine, because they will grow up to your roof of your glass house and then carry on. And I've seen wow. a tomato plant growing in hydroponics this is some years ago, um, and it was about 40 foot long, and it was only the last three feet of it that actually had leaves and fruit. And, and it had been was in growing a season. For, for two years. No. Yeah. No trouble. So they are a vine in actual fact. Um, given the opportunity, they can't sucker onto or climb over plants and so forth, but they will just keep on growing and growing and growing. Um, and given ample staking and good conditions, you could have a tomato plant that you have to get the ladder out to bloody pick the tomatoes <laughs> off the top. Ah, could I run that down the roof with a stake, like at, at right angles? Yeah, well, you usually have a wire along. Yes. 
to do that um, aspect. Okay, so we talked about the laterals. Now, that's an important aspect. Now, a thing you can do is you can let the laterals grow to about, say, um, I talk in inches, about four inches long, and then you carefully nip them off, and then, then you can use that and strike it as a seedling. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're easy to strike, right? A bit of warmth into some potting mix, into a pot, in your glass house, on your shelf or whatever, and um, just keep it moist, spray it with magic botanic liquid, and you've got another plant. And it will be exactly the same as the parent, of course, mm. right? Also, another fallacy is people think that a hybrid tomato, which is especially um, what's being grown, if you keep the seeds of it, it won't come true to form. From my experience, they basically always come true to form. So if you buy an expensive plant, um, and there are some varieties which can be quite dear to buy, and you grow it and you collect the seeds uh, when they're mature, and um, you can grow once again from those. I, I, I have uh, tomato plants which I used to grow now about 30 years ago, kept the seeds in the fridge, and a couple of years ago I germinated them and I got about a half strike. So yeah. they're quite viable for a long period of time. And any tomatoes that you like and grow um, and you want to germinate from seeds yourself, all you do when the plants, when you have your ripe tomatoes is just take some of the seeds off, put them on a um, piece of uh, paper toweling, uh, tissue, let them dry and then put them in a jar with their name on and the date in the fridge and uh, they'll be good for probably a 20-odd years. Well, certainly for next season, then. Mm. And okay. tell me, when you when you pull these laterals off, do you cut them, like with scissors or with a knife, or do you pull them? What's the best way to take the lateral off? Pinch. You pinch. Just pinch them off. Okay. And, and kind of pinch and pull. Yeah. Um, there, There is a aspect that... You should not use steel on a plant. It's, it's I don't know whether it's how detrimental it is, but there is an old law, um, folklore, where um, if you're going to use anything, you don't use copper, yeah. copper scissors or uh, whatever, but not steel. Goodness me. Yeah. And do you follow that law? Um, by and large, yes, yeah, uh, but I don't have any copper scissors, unfortunately. No. So my my fingers are uh, copper like. <laughs> yeah. So just well, pinch I'm out. quite excited now about tomatoes. You've sort of demystified it for me. Um, after this, I'm going to get on the web page, make my order, and rush off. Now, down here in Queenstown, I go to Bunnings. Right because they're nice to me and sometimes might attend. I'm not aware of a nursery, right? Because um, land rental here is just astronomical. 
is it okay to be buying your seedlings and that from Bunnings and Mitre 10, or would you it be preferable to be going to a dedicated garden nursery shop? No. I mean, say tomatoes are tomatoes, the seedlings okay. are seedlings. What do you do? Um, the varieties, you'll see heritage-type tomatoes, which some of them um, are good, but generally speaking, I've never found them to be all that great. Uh, I prefer tomatoes like Gross Lisa, Moneymaker, um, Russian Red, traditional ones, mm-hmm. uh, in which some of those now they determine as being heritage tomatoes because they're quite old varieties and they've been popular for many years because they are very good. Mm. Um, what's that? Now, should I stagger? my tomato growing and of course i guess in a month or two i'll start planting them outside so that i have a long season like so i plant these i don't know i was thinking of a half a dozen seedlings particularly if i get the laterals off in my tunnel house and that'll be my early tomatoes but later on I mean, I want the tomatoes to run as long as I can. Right. So in a month or two, would I be planting seedlings outside to, to have tomatoes later in the season? Yep, yep, yep. And your um, part of the world, yes, that would be about right for temperature and so forth. Um, in Auckland. Because or- the, tomato, the tomatoes on the ones in the tunnel house I'd be getting them over a period of some weeks, right? I mean, it just doesn't all happen at once, and then they are no more tomatoes. No, no, yeah, they just keep on going. So, like, if you were growing lettuces, you'd plant six lettuces now, and in three or four weeks' time, plant another six lettuces, so you've got succession. Got it. With tomatoes, capsicums, et cetera, one plant just keeps on going until winter. Okay. And it will keep on fruiting. Right the way through. So you don't need to plant another one uh, in a month's time. But the only time you do that is probably round about January, February, where you would get some winter-type tomatoes, which is like your Russian red or one called Antarctic or Arctic. Arctic is one, which you'd have to grow from seed yourself. Um, And you'd get them started so that you can grow your tomatoes through the winter time in your tunnel house, and they're going to be up quite good size with fruit on as winter folds in, right? Wow. Now, the key is that tomatoes, to set fruit, have got to flower and create pollen, right? Now, some varieties like Moneymaker, Gross Lisa, you need warm temperatures for them to flower and produce pollen. They'll flower, but no pollen, right? A Arctic-type tomato plant will produce pollen in the cold weather, right, such as Russian red or Arctic or whatever, right? Now, if... You grow, say, a moneymaker in the middle of winter, and it's there, it's it's flowers are there, but no, never sets any fruit because there's not enough temperature for the flower to produce pollen. 
right? So the, a lot of people think or don't realise that they're temperature-related for the pollen. And this the is the early season, mid-season and late-season idea for tomatoes. Yes. So your Russian, your Russian red and your Arctic, they're late-season tomatoes. Oh, no, you can grow them any time of the oh, year. Oh, okay. But they will be ones that will produce fruit in the cold of winter. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. another tip too, uh, because there's so many things to learn about tomatoes, a lot of people um, who grow tomatoes in the tunnel house or whatever, they say they flower, but I don't get any fruit. Now, the reason being is that tomato plants, even though they're self-fertile, they need some movement to move the pollen in the flower, right? Now, the trick here is when your tomato plants are up and they've got flowers on, nice sunny day, it has to be a nice sunny day, you go out and you tap the plant to make it vibrate. It will set the fruit. My goodness. But in the old days, we used to have a product called uh, Full Set or Tom Set, right, which is a little spray that you used to spray. It was a hormone spray, and they banned it uh, later on. Booth, the chemist, actually used to produce it. Um, the other aspect is... So what you're doing there is you're shaking the pollen off, what is it, the stamens or something, and it's falling into the flower's anther, or whatever, the male bit and the female bit. Mm -hmm. And unless that happens, it can't fertilise and grow a tomato. Right. Yep, yep. My but, goodness. Um, commercially, I, I many years ago, I bought a glasshouse complex in Palmerston North from an elderly Chinese gentleman who had the big glass houses, the commercial ones, and he was growing tomatoes. And he was growing tomatoes right into winter, no trouble at all. He had the best tomatoes in New Zealand because of a little trick he did. But one of the aspects of it, in the glass houses, there was crisscross wires, right, number eight wires going all up and down in squares uh, between them about, oh, probably 18 inches apart, wow. right? So imagine all these wires going across the glass house and then all these wires coming up and down the glass house, sitting yeah. on top of each other. What would be done for staking is that you take some twine and you tie it to the wires and you'd run it down and you'd have a piece of number eight wire with a, um, a bent uh, in it, like a hook, and you'd shove that in the ground next to the plant. And then you would twist the plant around as it grows up the twine. So yeah. it kind of spirals up. And there's yeah. your support, right? Yeah. yeah. What you would do on a sunny day is you, when the plants are up and they're in flower, Oh, you just shake the vine, shake the twine. Know, you would take a stick and you'd whack the wires and you give them a real solid rack and the whole place would go <laughs> <laughs> and all the fruit was set. How amazing. 
Yeah, it was. His trick was, and, and they even had DSIR, Massey, and so forth, because he was producing beautiful tomatoes, beautiful flavour, and uh, they and that they held, they, they kept extremely well, right? And they couldn't work out what it was. What he did when he uh, built the glass houses, in those days, there was a gas works in Palmerston North who would take the coal and extract the gas from it. And what did you end up with? Coke. Remember yeah, Coke? I do remember Coke. Yeah. I don't know if you can get Coke anymore, but I'd love to get some. Um, it's a little bit like Black Magic, right? Because Black Magic, uh, Magic, not Black Magic, um, our Magic Botanic Liquid, because that comes from lignate or coal too. He actually put several tonnes, he dug out a great big underneath, put several tonnes of this coke in, and then put the soil on top of that. Now, of course, he, the plant's roots were going down and they were getting the nutrients, like from the botanical uh, liquid, from the coke. And oh, that made goodness. them really special. Oh, my goodness. Well, when I was Googling away, Wally, I came across a YouTube that was talking about making charcoal mm -hmm. and adding it into your compost. Right. Could that, could that, is that a similar thing? Yes, but no. Oh. <laughs> no, because your coal, et cetera, is from prehistoric uh, times when the world was mineral rich and cycads and ferns and everything grew massive along with the dinosaurs and of course they all turned into our what we call fossil fuels coal oil right and in the coal is trapped now theoretically you go bag buy a bag of coal which you can still buy coal right yeah. Some people burn coal, which is damn good, especially if you've got one of those um, absolutely uh, what's the name ovens. Uh, mm -hmm. I suppose if you were to take the coal and pulverize it, bring it back to coal dust, right, and sprinkle that in the ground underneath your plant, like tomato plant or whatever, you've got all those nutrients from that taken up by the plant. Isn't that uh, extraordinary? Yeah, carbon nets is once again uh, uh, something derived, I think, from coal. I'm not sure how they produce, but that would be another possibility. Um, what about the ash from your fire too? Is I mean, I know it's separate because the point about the coal and the magic botanic liquid is it's coming from those ancient times when it was mineral rich. But separate to that is is the ash from your wood burner is that useful in your garden yes it's potash that's that's why they call it potash because we used to take it out of the fireplace put it in a pot let it cool down um so it was dead and then we would dispose of it either by sprinkling around their garden and it's it's not a strong potash but it is potash and think about this too in fact like when you're clearing native bush, right, in the old days, 
and then they would burn it off, and the ash from that would be valuable for planting your crops, your grass, or whatever, right? Yeah. Because you've got all the minerals from it and, and the potash. And the what's what is potash? It's like um is it minerals or is it sulfate is, is potassium sulfate is, is the man-made equivalent. Okay. And and plants need the K. Yep. And that provides them with the K. And the sulfate, do they need the sulfur or is that just not used by the plants? Um yeah. Sulfur, once again, is very good in plants um, and it's very good for yourself. Mm. For instance, off topic a little bit, but your body needs a small amount of sulfur daily, right? Mm -hmm. Now, years ago, when we were young, in our food chain from the market gardens that were growing naturally, etc., you would have got your uh, daily amount of sulfur. Right. These days, in commercial grown products, uh, food, veggies, uh, there's not a lot of minerals and elements. So there's two types of sulfur. There's the sulfur that comes out of volcanoes, yellow, right, which you can use for various things. And back in days gone by, um, we used to um, use it to fumigate uh, our glass houses, which we still do, or in cases of uh, colds going around, mum used to get some um, hot coals out of the coal range and on her hearth shovel, sprinkle some yellow powdered sulphur on that, and my job as a five-year-old was to walk through the house with these smoking embers um, to fumigate the house, and we never got a cold. Gordon. Yeah, the sulfur kills germs, right? And back to, well, yeah, germs. Um, because we lack sulfur, and one of these things that sulfur does is carries oxygen through the body to the cells. We have a product which is sulfur that's derived from plants, in actual fact, pine trees, called MSM. MSM is a white crystal powder right, which you take about half a teaspoon and you dissolve it into some nice fruit juice with um, non-chlorinated water and vitamin C, and you take that and you have that morning and night. It was about 20 years ago, a chap from America through the internet I was in contact with, I learned about it and he sent me 500 grams of this MSM to New Zealand for me to do. He was doing an experiment where you had to take a photograph, a good, clear photograph of your face, right, before you started on the taking the MSM, and then six months later, another photograph. Mm. Reason being, sulphur is nature's beauty element, and he was determining by doing a whole lot of people that their complexion would improve. We sell this MSM. Now, um, ladies quite often will contact me after I've bought some a month or two later and say, my goodness, my uh, skin, hair, nails have never been so good. Why? Because it's nature's beauty element. It also is magic on arthritis, like sore joints, things like that. 
Uh, I had a lady just recently, she rang me up. She'd got some MSM and um, she said, before this, I was virtually crippled. She said, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning without a lot of difficulties. I was on painkillers. I heard about the MSM. I got some. She said, after a couple of weeks, oh I jump God. out of bed in the mornings now. No problems oh at all. Oh, my goodness. Oh, now, my goodness. Some people, it's slow for um, that to happen, and other people, it can be miraculous. It's kind of like overnight. And you have to, as a human being, be constantly experimenting with your nutrition, it seems to me, because you don't know what you're missing out on until you shake it up a bit. Um, I'm actually, this week, have been gone back to a protocol where I have a warm cup of bone broth and um, some kefir in the morning. Oh, my goodness, I'm feeling so much better. I'm also, through the day, I have um, the seed sprouts growing, and I always just grab a handful, and I'm finding that's been helpful with the magic botanic liquid sprayed on them. And I must be getting some nutrients through that because I'm finding that very good. And you'll be pleased to know I just this week planted some wheatgrass um, right. to to make cool. a smooth a smoothie drink out of because I've had such success. Funnily enough, with the sprouts and the magic botanic liquid, I mean, I literally just eat a handful a day, and I find them very tasty. And uh, mung bean sprouts or a mixture of sprouts, I'm growing them all in that little thing that I got. Um, from Bunnings, wasn't it? I got that, and um, it's fantastic. And every now and then, I'll throw them in and and fry them up with some for dinner for for the kids and the family. Um, and having done all that, I actually realized that I there must have been something a bit lacking in my minerals because I'm actually feeling uh better and oh, sleeping better. Yep, see, this is the problem. Um, we're not getting the nutritional value out of our. No food chain when it's commercial. If we grow it ourselves, naturally, uh, we've got all the uh, goodness um, from the veggies and stuff that we grow. The more you can grow, the better off. But even if you can only grow a little bit, yes. even just doing the sprouts, yes. you're going to be that much better off yes. as a result. Uh, yes. And you'll live longer, healthier, for sure. Okay, Wally, well, You've once again inspired me. I'm going to tackle these tomatoes. I'm going to call in. I'm going into town. I'm going to call into Bunnings and see if they've got any tomato seedlings. I'm going to put my order in for Wally's secret tomato food and Wally's super copper nutrient. Nutrient. I couldn't read my own writing. Um, And I'm going to get those tomatoes going well i can't wait oh my goodness um i go into because my well i got my tunnel house is sort of like 15 minutes away as it happens from where i am at the moment so some days i don't get out particularly when it's been poor weather and i go out there and it just amazes me how much growth there is wally Mm, yeah. And I am I am a bit scared that my breath my tomatoes, I planted tomato seedlings in the dead of winter and they sprouted and died. But my lettuce has popped up. And I mean they'd be like um 
three or four inches across, you and me doing old Christian units. I got carrots. Um, I got brassicas, but you said they might bolt, but we'll see. And um, I'm going to add tomatoes. Funnily enough, <laughs> I bought potatoes that I liked, and I thought um, I've set them in the shade and in the warm in the tunnel house, and they just starting to sprout literally after a month. Right. And then I bought potatoes for dinner and opened the bag and they'd sprouted. And I was actually quite gleeful. Normally you know I'd be why? upset. Why? Do you know why? No. Potatoes will sprout when there's a change temperature. In other words, the potatoes are normally stored cool. When you bring them home and put them in your warm kitchen, next to no time, you're starting to sprout. It's the warmth that causes them to break. Okay. Because you want them to sprout and get like an inch or two before you plant them, right? Oh, no, no. You don't want them too long because they'll break. Ideally, after they show some sprouting, you put them in a nice sunny position, protected, to green them off, right? So those sprouts then become very hard and green. And then you plant them. Oops. 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 Now, uh, here's an important thing. Should I dig them up? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> they, they, will do, they will be okay. Um, in a glass house, tunnel house, and even outside, white fly tomatoes are a problem, right? Now, in the old days, what we used to do with the glass houses, we would plant marigolds in there. Heaps of marigolds and hanging baskets and pots and everywhere, right? And we'd have our tomato plants in there. The tomatoes, um, at night time, we would close the house down, right, all the vents, et cetera. And then in the morning when we opened up, it would just smell of marigolds, right? Now, white fly outside flying along, they find their tomato plant host by the smell. But, of course, if you've got this marigold smell there, they can't smell the tomato plant. They keep on flying, right? Mm. Now, instead of having to do that, what we use is neem tree granules on uh, in the glasshouse, and they create a smell which disguises the smell of the tomato plants. So if you're in open soil, you just yeah. sprinkle some on the soil, uh, they get moist, they smell, and that disguises. The Is plants. that a one-off thing, or do you got to do it every so often? Um, until they break down, it's probably one-off, or maybe okay. later in the season you might sprinkle a few more. If you're using the powder, yes, you'd have to because that breaks down much okay. quicker. Um, oh, so, wow. Wally's secret tomato food with neem has got the powder of course there so you oh, put- so i don't need to buy that i've got that no. in the, i got it in the secret tomato food yeah that secret tomato food is going under the tomato plant right and then on top of the soil got it so uh, yeah two ways a little bit in the planting hole yeah and then also about a teaspoon or so and oh. initially on top of the soil and it's so as you water, it's going to water down. The reason your tomato plants that you started off in winter died was because it was too wet and they okay. didn't like it, 
right? If it kept it dry, they would still be going. My goodness me. What a great thing this is, Wally. Thank you for this. This is so wonderful. I can't wait. We will have a regular update. As you know, every fortnight we get Wally on. Wally, you're a treasure. I know I grabbed you a bit at the last minute, and I know you got uh, some, you're having to hop in your car and head away. So I thank you for your time. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Radley Check Radio, and we've been talking to Wally Richards. He's uh, magic. You can give him a ring at 0800-466-464. You can email him at wallyjr at gardennews1n and thegardennews.co.nz. Uh, and he would love to hear from you. And if you've got problems in your garden, you can um, ring Wally. He doesn't mind. Or uh, you can also text me 2057 or email me inbox at rallycheck.radio because there'll be other listeners too that will be having perhaps potentially similar, similar problems and we'll deal with them on the show. But Wally's going to be coming on. We might have to up the pace a bit, Wally, because now we're heading into a busy time for gardening, aren't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, unlike um, months or two ago, it was quiet and there's only certain things you can do. Now we're starting to go hell for leather, as they say. We might and, have to go weekly, Wally, through this yeah. period because I'm going to struggle and I've got to be keep reminded of what to do. You're lovely. You have a great trip. And thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge and I will be putting in my order. Thank you, Wally. I'll get my tomatoes going. Thank you. No trouble. Thank you. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde, and Tane Webster. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got my, uh, my is it my muse? I don't know. Uh, it's Politics Explained, Back to Basics in the Political uh, Sandpit with Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. So, what do you got for t- us today? Yeah, well, today's question's from, from a listener, and what they've asked is, I'd be interested in Rodney's summing up of the MMP reform lead-up. I recall as a younger, only marginally interested voter thinking, these MMP folks have just got the biggest advertising budget. Those promotional signs were everywhere, but there seemed to be precious little visible support for maintaining FPP, nor for the other options, which I have forgotten what they were. Yeah. Well, it was uh, one of those great things in politics because on the one hand, we're very conservative. We don't like change. So if you put the, there's a great um, research experiment that people do where they say, um, here we have policy A, um, would you support policy B? And everyone says no. 
And then you say to people, well, we have policy B, would you support policy A? And everyone says no. So people are opposed to change in, in politics. They don't like rocking the boat. And um, they like what they know. But I reckon that's not just politics. That's people in general. Yes. And then there's another thing, and that is if you want to push something through, it becomes very easy in politics because there's always a whole lot of grumbles in politics. And what you do is you offer up a reform that will fix everything, right? And that's how MMP was presented. We'd been through economic turmoil and governments, you know, New Zealand was on the brink of economic collapse and then governments were coming in and trying to deal with this and the pain was unbelievable. The disruption was unbelievable. I was young and loved it, but if you were older, you wouldn't, if you know what I mean. It just caught me at the right time. So disruption when you're young is quite a fun thing, but when you're settled and you've got a business or a farm or a family and a mortgage, I had none of those things. So I didn't have any pegs in the ground. And politicians had promised stuff and done the complete opposite, Jim Bolger. Worse, or as bad, governments hadn't promised anything and then done the exact opposite of what was expected. So you wouldn't have expected the fourth Labour government to be the most free market government that New Zealand has ever experienced. And it happened so amazingly quickly. And so the distrust of politics was huge. And there was also a rise of third parties. And the third parties would get a high vote, but get no representation in Parliament because you had to win a seat, which required you to win like a third of the vote, not 5% or 10%. You know, to win a seat is very hard. But when the disgust with Labour and National were high, um, third parties like Social Credit and Bob Jones's New Zealand Party could score very high and not get a seat. So the existing first-past-the-post system was described as unfair, and it was promised that if you changed the system to a proportional system, the political parties would have to listen to the people more and be more accountable and be better, and plus would get a more diverse and exciting parliament. The old two-party two parties would get a kick in the guts. It was also helpful that the existing parties didn't want change because they were set up to do well under first-past-the-post. And, of course, if the politicians were opposed to MMP, uh, that was the best argument for putting it in, if you know what I mean. If that said, yeah, MMP looks great, um, I think it would have been a different outcome. So the way it worked was uh, 1986 had been a Royal Commission. It was a sort of a SOP to all the free market reforms were going on was to do a Royal Commission. They recommended some proportional system. I think they recommended MMP. And then, funnily enough, uh, from that, momentum grew. And the country was still bankrupt by 1990. And so Jim Bolger was sort of cornered. He couldn't promise to spend any money. 
And in a weak moment, he promised a referendum on whether we would go to MMP. And it was the one promise that he kept. Uh, he also promised that the surcharge would go on the pensions. And of course, he kept it, which was um, terribly upsetting to retired people on their pensions because not only was it an economic hit, it was a promise that was written in blood and was quickly reversed once he had their vote. So we had a, in 1992, we had a referendum outside the election, which was to decide whether you wanted a change. And there were four options presented, all of a proportional representation um, nature, a single transferable vote, I don't know, single SM. There was four. I can't even remember them, right? And I never even understood them. Um, and then there was MMP. And MMP was the one that a coalition of supporters, um, Phil Saxby's a name that comes to mind, Rod Donald is a name that comes to mind, and they organised a fabulous grassroots campaign for MMP as a cure-all. I mean, we would walk into the sunny uplands with sunshine and butterflies if only we had MMP. And here were our existing old parties opposing it. And then that went on in the 1993 election. That went on. I think it was quite close. I came, That's how I got involved in politics, because I joined the campaign to stop MMP because I thought MMP was a terrible system, and I still do, because it just empowers party bureaucrats and party bosses and makes for ever everyday politicians, not your local MP, accountable to you. So that's how it went. Um, and the writer in is true and correct that the campaign was everywhere because it literally enlisted thousands and thousands of people and i remember i had just shifted to auckland and what is it mount hobson and you drive down the motorway and there's this mountain you know the volcanic cone with all the grass on it and they poisoned the grass to make this huge sign mmp and i mean you just couldn't miss it and to be against mmp was to be on, quote, the wrong side of history or to be not socially acceptable and to be part of a big business plot. Um, and so we got MMP. I got so disgruntled that we got MMP, I thought, well, maybe we can make an, a third party, and that's hence how ACT was born mm. because it grew out of that campaign to keep first past the post, although a lot of the people that joined ACT I had voted for MMP. It was quite a funny thing because it was almost needed to be, when we started ACT, there also needed to be a reconciliation because people were still hit up about that fight over whether we would have MMP or first past the post. So that's the history of it. Right. And uh, can you cover off the, the other options that were No, I to? can't. There was a single transferable vote, which oh, oh yeah. God, we have that already in the local government system for some yeah, councils. There was a supplementary member's vote and there was a preferential vote. The reason I know that with such extraordinary confidence is I just Googled it 
but for goodness sake, don't ask me um, what they are. I remember very intense discussions about how MMP, that SM was better or STV was better or you know or some other variant was better on proportional representation. And it always struck me as boneheaded because whatever system you have, you're going to end up with politicians, right? Yes, it's, it's not, I mean. And politicians yeah. will use it and uh, to the advantage. And the difficulty with MMP to me is I don't like coalition government because it means you can't hold governments to account for their manifestos. I don't like the party bosses having this enormous power over choosing their list. I don't like coalition negotiations. Um, I don't like having list MPs. I don't like that you could literally vote a government out and then it could bribe another party to support it and keep an office. What I loved about First Past the Post is that when a party in power became unpopular, they could be resolutely and decisively beaten and we'd get a fresh government. Mm. Right on. Anyway, but having said that, the funny thing is I'm not sure it makes that much difference. Um, you still got a parliament. you still got a politics. It was a huge shake-up to our parliamentary system because our parliamentary system was uh, – British, and it was adversarial, and you have an opposition and a government and had grown up over hundreds of years. And we had to graft onto our parliamentary system a multi-party system where there were party votes and coalitions. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was a huge deal. I mean, parties used to not be recognized in our parliament, just members and it was the individual members, and they were, funnily enough, freer to vote against uh, a government. It was up to them. They could choose how they voted. They, there'd be consequences for voting against your own party. In fact, you could bring a government down. But with MMP, the individual vote is gone, and you have a party vote. And you see this terrible thing now, to me, where you're having a vote in Parliament, and there are five MPs in the chamber. Mm. And one MP will get up and say, you know, X number of votes for national, X number of votes for Labour, X number of votes and sit down. Whereas previous to that, every MP had to leave his office or her office, come down to the chamber and walk through the door and record their vote just seems more accountable to me at an individual yeah it does seem yeah. odd when you read in, in articles oh so and so was absent for the vote like yeah how's that okay how, how's that allowed? it's not okay it's not okay and i mean you know and it's a cop-out for, for some politicians because the way they they didn't want to say no to it but they didn't want to say yes to it either maybe so they just yeah there'd be mps that wouldn't have a clue what was being voted on for months, right? Because someone's just recording their vote and it's not their particular area. Now, you could argue that under first past the post, you would turn up and you say, which way am I voting? Right? Or you'd look around and you'd say, which way is national going and which way is Labour going? And you'd go accordingly. 
But just that mere thing of having to walk through the door is a level of accountability that we don't have now. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe my opinion is different to yours. I, I think it's good to have a system which allows for other parties for, for not, you know, you don't want hundreds, but, you know, or even dozens, but you, you want a good selection available. And with FPP, it was mainly, right, you know, yeah. it was mainly national oh, labor. So it was, and, 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 you know, that's why the American system is kind of more screwed than ours because it's a, it's a, it's a duopoly. You, you, there's no chance a third party will ever kind of get in. I mean, in the foreseeable future, we don't know what's going to happen. Can't predict everything, but. But it's uh, interesting, you see, because in a funny way, those two parties that are competing, the duopoly, they struggle to get their votes and they're hunting for votes the whole time, you know, for the election. And you, you might only have a choice of two or three like you throw your vote away in a third party, it still counts against the parties that want your vote. And so they are hunting. And I mean, for example, the New Zealand party, led by Bob Jones in 1984, undoubtedly defeated Muldoon, but actually prepared the ground for the free market reforms that subsequently happened because Bob Jones campaigned on them. Yeah, he's great. We should get him on. Um, yeah, but I mean, he, he literally campaigned on them. And I mean, although he didn't get elected, he had a dramatic impact on politics and the direction yeah. of New Zealand. So anyway, look, there's no perfect system other than what I see as the maximum freedom for each of us and keeping government as small as we possibly can. And 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 decentralised. And decentralised, absolutely decentralised. Um and again, that's almost impossible in New Zealand. I found this with local. The great examples about decentralization are local government and school boards and hospital boards. Local councils get almost no say, right? Because government legislates everything they have to do. When I reformed Auckland, there was an 109 things that the Auckland Council had to do by law that Parliament had given them to do. So when you get elected to council, you don't decide what you're going to do as a new council. It's already been decided, here are the 109 things that you're going to do. Then you find yourself strapped into a planning regime that sets up these railway tracks, again, that has been legislated by central government, and you can't get off those tracks because previous councils and governments have signed up to it. Then you discover that everything you want to do has to be funded, whether it be transport, the environment, or whatever, by central government. Rates don't cover it enough. And everything's being decided by the Ministry of Transport, by the Ministry of Fisheries, every government department that you can imagine. And you're just there to rubber stamp. It's even worse if you're on a school board. Schools are run by the government, not by the boards. I mean, it's extraordinary when you look at it. Hospital boards are the same. And I find that this quasi-vote your council in and they'll get to have a say or vote for your school trustees, they'll get to have a say as a sort of pretend democracy or pretend decentralisation because all the power is held by Wellington everywhere you look. Mm. It's disgusting. I mean, I would actually think it would be better this is crazy, right? 
But think, I mean, I really do think this. I was Minister of Local Government for three years. And no local council was interested in me because all I was responsible for was the Local Government Act. They were interested in Minister for Environment and Minister of Transport because that dictated what they could and couldn't do. And I came to the conclusion that you'd be far better to have central government appoint a council, right, to run it, and they take responsibility for it because they were controlling what the councils do, but the poor mayor and the poor council were copying it. Does that make sense? And yeah. you saw you saw this in times of strife, you know, with the earthquake. Um, Christchurch Council didn't get to decide anything. Um, day to day, the big decisions are still, all the transport decisions, even at local level, get made by the uh, central government. Um, and central government will turn around, and if it doesn't like what a council's doing, it will either sack them or change the law and make them do it. And that's literally how central government thinks. It's tyrannical over local council. It's tyrannical over the school system. But we have this pretense that we've decentralized it. And I think if you're not going to decentralize it, you actually make those who are pulling the strings responsible. Hmm. It's a bit of a rant. We work with the system we've got. Yes, we do. And, I mean, it's a great system because whether you have MMP, first-past-the-post, school councils, boards, whatever, you can always dump the government. You've got limited choices, but you can always dump it, and they know it. Every three years, they can come up for election. Only democracy gives you that. No other system does. Mm. Mm. You're with uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Politics Explained, Back to the Basics with political sand, in the Political Sandpit with Tane Webster, a regular feature that we have. Thank you for those uh, questions, Tane. Please, listeners, questions for Tane and I to discuss. I'm terrible because I tend to dominate. I normally use Tane asks me the question and off I go. That's the problem. Maybe we've got to turn that around. Send us a question for Politics Explained to 2057. Uh, email us at inbox at And um, also send it if you think I'm wrong or Tane's wrong because we'd love to hear from you because this is where we can actually have those proper debates and it is election year. Mm. Tane, thank you. See you next week. See you next week. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. You're on Reality Check Radio with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And now we go to the mailbag in this one from Terry. Hi, Rodney. I've taken great comfort watching you stumble toward Christianity. And my good friend, Roger Moses, whom you met many years ago, and he knows people within the New Zealand Initiative. Oh, I remember Roger Moses well. What a wonderful, wonderful man. Truly wonderful. And I pray that you'll see what Christ has done for you and come to know a love that we cannot really grasp the side of the grave. It concerns me that Ashley Church may be an influence at this early stage that complicates things, but it's great to listen to you talk with him. He's no theologian. Theologian, though, and there is a richness that awaits when you move beyond the intellectual knowledge. I suspect he's discovered this as his early experiences experience was hardly Christian. You'll know Christians by how they behave. Knowledge and acceptance of Christ must change us. 
my main beef with Ashley is that we are made for fellowship and being part of a church family is vital. People will often be shy and awkward as I am, but they will love to interact with you and you will be a blessing to them by simply being present. I urge you to find a conservative church and see what they're like. Denominations such as Roman Catholic, Anglican, etc. matters less than content. But the Anglicans are a shambles as they split over Christian liberalism versus orthodoxy. The orthodox Anglicans such as Nelson are wonderful. There are other aspects of Ashley theology that I take issue with on the basis they limit the abilities and nature of Jesus. He is the being that spoke creation into being, so prepare to be amazed. The thousand-year earthly reign where we get a second shot is pretty dodgy theology. When the Son of God returns, you will know and will not argue that you backed a wrong horse, if that was the case. His majesty is such that we will be astounded and be in no doubt as to who he is. If you want to read the Bible, I would suggest Luke and Acts to start, and they are effectively one book. I can teach other books as well, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is magical. Oh, I will read that, because I'm reading a book on the Bible now that's a bit heavy for me. If you're in Wellington, there's always a space at my house for you and your family, and I'd love to have you at our church. That is very, very nice. Thank you, Terry. Keep up the good work and look to be transformed by God over time. You make a difference. Much love and respect. Do you know I find that difference in me already? And I prayed for another family last night. It's the first time I've ever prayed in my entire life, other than because you're at Sunday school and you sort of pray as a little kid or you're in a political meeting and you put your head down. But I really prayed for this family that I know that are struggling. And I also thanked in the prayer for all the blessings that I have, including the show. And it was absolutely wonderful. I'm going to do more. Thank you, Rodney. This is from Louise for another delightful interview. I've just listened to your second talk with Ashley Church. I love the way you so openly and honestly converse and the perceptive and direct questions you ask. My husband and I appreciate really check radio. I love the way your interviewers conduct their interviews and without antagonism as well. They're helpful and informative, like many others probably. I had ceased from listening to mainstream media and I find your station so refreshing. God bless you, Louise. God bless you too, Louise. Thank you. From Terry. Hi, Rodney. Love your talks with Wally. We have bought goods of him after listening to your talks. He, he loves to talk. Thanks, Terry. Wally loves to talk. He's such a human being. Christina, what a wonderful woman. Ah, oh, that'll be Linda. Listening to her courage and dedication has brought tears to my eyes. Indeed. Dear Rodney, men with penises, whatever they call themselves, should not be in New Zealand women's prisons and spaces. Regards, Debbie. Damn right. Lots of love to you, Linda. You're an absolute hero in my eyes. I was at Albert Park that day. It was indescribable. Keep speaking up. I wasn't a turf when I went to Albert Park that day. I just wanted to hear women speak about being women. Hmm. This is a harrowing tale of treachery by the state and by our own police. They were sabotaged deliberately against women speaking. I remain gobsmacked. New Zealand really is in trouble. Indeed. In fact, I've just got an official information act request being sent to me. And on that day in Albert Park, where the protesters were able to shout down a meeting of women and then violently attack them. And to me, it was lucky no one was killed, but certainly people were injured. 
women were injured, grandmothers were injured, they were attacked, not by one but by several, that there at the start of that meeting there were 15 police officers who stood back. And as it deteriorated, they were joined by another 18 police officers. There were 33 police officers there who did nothing. One police officer could have stopped it. 33 certainly could have stopped it. They chose not to, or they were ordered not to. Either way, it's a stain on the New Zealand police. It can't be eradicated. Just listening to the interview on this morning with Rodney Hyde, there's a common theme with protesters arriving at events once the police are informed. There's also been happening at Julian Batchelor's meetings, indeed. Recently, Julian has changed tack and is not notifying the police of the location of meetings and no protesters turn up. <laughs> Coincidence, of course. Oh, my goodness. Rodney, it was Costa and Hipkins controlling the police. Yeah, I, no doubt. Rodney, you can call anyone a Nazi. It doesn't mean they are. No, that's true. Rodney, I was watching the live stream of Albert Park. I was praying hard for no one to be killed. I thought someone would be killed. The woman deserves the highest prize for the most riveting, spellbinding tale of the truth from the rotunda. What a story. What a narration. Wow. Rodney, the contrast between Chanel on national TV crying, saying he thought he would be killed for being trans, and then him working with police to assault and to injure woman at Albert Park shows what a hypothetical snake he is. Indeed. Rodney, Chanel and the tomato sauce alley person both have pics online with them looking friendly with Jacinda and Hopkins. Oh, my God. Of course they do. And before that, Helen Clark. What dreadful people. Excellent interview, Rodney. And under the picture you pout rounds the day's events nicely. Wake up, New Zealand. Indeed, wake up. Rodney, this lady is so damn brave. Bless her. Love her protesting. Rodney, I agree with Linda. Please sacrifice women's safety on the trans ideology. Alter. Indeed, they did, and there were 33 police officers there that day who did nothing. They stood by and watched. They did nothing. They could have stood by and watched a grandmother be killed and still have done nothing. They certainly stood by and watched a grandmother be seriously assaulted and have her skull cracked and did nothing. Rodney, today interview amazing insight. It shamed the police and our New Zealand society. Proud of Kelly J for returning and fronting her attacker. Indeed, I am too. Did you know there was a photo during the rounds on Facebook of Kelly's attacker chatting to Jacinda in a supermarket? Looked very friendly, Ollie. No, I did not know. Sent it to me. Oh, my goodness. Hi, Rodney. My wife and I really enjoy your show, especially your talk this week with Linda Sutton. Unfortunately, the police executive have been totally captured by this gender ideology nonsense. While many frontline staff don't share those views, I've no doubt it would have been made very clear to the Auckland officers attending the Posey Park event not to offer any assistance or to do anything that they could be construed as supporting her. Well, they didn't have to follow those orders, not if they were human beings. Have you heard of Bruce Dow? Google him. Bruce recently retired from the police after almost 50 years service. He has a community cop and media. He was the community cop and media, media liaison in Amaru for many years and doing the daily briefings with the local ODT reporter. You may recall several years ago, police management decided it would be a great idea to paint a patrol car in rainbow colours at a cost of $10,000. Oh my God. Bruce wrote an open letter to the commissioner, which was strongly critical of this view. He ended up facing disciplinary action for airing his views. 
he would be a good man to have on your show. He's on Facebook and Instagram. You should be able to find him. But if you have any trouble or want to know more, get back to me. Keep up the good work. Kind regards. Oh, I will track him down. Thank you so much. Oh, aren't the, isn't the feedback wonderful? What a wonderful community we've got. And remember, they had 15 police there at the start of that day. Those 15 police could have just moved in and stood between the protesters and the woman and kept them safe because they wouldn't have attacked the police. And then they were joined by another 18, so there were 33 police. And they watched. They watched women get beaten. They were employed, implored by the woman to come and help and protect them. And their sergeant said, we're not here to protect you. Over and over, we're not here to protect you. That's the state of the New Zealand police. That's now the lack of respect we have in our society for women. They're not men, those police officers. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Reality Check Radio. Please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Thank you so much for your texts and emails. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, please send me a text, 2057, email at inbox at radleycheck.radio. I love I love to hear from you. It's a bit tricky what I want to talk about. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to approach this or how to discuss it, but I get a queasy feeling every time I see a headline about Laura Dickerson. I it's Laureen Dickerson. I can't read it. And I worry. It just feels sick that it's news every day, every day, every day, and that we have in court these experts arguing, oh, was she insane? Was she sane? Did you know what she's doing? Because it's like a terrible crime, a terrible thing. She killed her three children. But what do we do? I don't know the answer to this. I just know I can't read it. And I can't read these experts trying to penetrate her mind and decide what should be done with her. Like from an expert testimony, was she mad or did she know what she was doing? It seems to me to kill your children like that, you'd have to be technically insane. I don't know. I can't read it. And what are we trying to achieve here with our justice system? I understand that three lives have been snuffed out and they were snuffed out by what should have been the most trusted person in their life, their mum. But it's happened, and now what? Do we lock her up forever? And the question is, do we lock her up in a psychiatric unit until she's quite well? 
or forever, or do we lock her up in prison until some years hence? And do we decide this by experts? Because there's no doubt that she did it. Oh my goodness, it's just for me too terrible. And um, I don't know what, what's being served. I, 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 it's not usual for me not to be able to read something and, and also to be revolted by the story. Not actually just revolted by the crime, but revolted by the way we're picking over it taking weeks and weeks and it dribbles out and we're supposed to be sitting there reading it agog or something, I don't know. And I feel strange about this because almost all my life I've been fascinated by the Parker Hume murder of the mother in Victoria Park, Christchurch in 1952 before I was born. But I knew of the story and I used to walk up and go to Victoria Park when I was at university, when I lived in Christchurch, and I could never go up there and not think. Simply because I've never seen the movie, by the way, that Jackson did. But I'd always think about it because I couldn't imagine how two young girls could spend days plotting to kill one girl's mother and then to kill her in such a brutal way. Like your daughters, your daughter and her friend kill you. What to kill you? Bash you over the head with a rock to kill you. And so I haven't read a lot about it. I just know the story and I keep dwelling on it, sort of like a Shakespearean tragedy. <clears throat> and I can imagine if that was a story, I would be following it most closely. But then maybe I wouldn't, because to me, that one has the benefit of time. But Lauren Dickerson, her poor husband, her poor family, poor three little kids, so beautiful, snuffed, dead. And she has to live with that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how do you? And what do you do? I just have overwhelming sort of pity for the entire situation. And I guess that's why I struggle with it. I don't see a sort of bad person in there. And I don't feel comfortable reading it. Too voyeuristic or something, too raw. And it's not like I think I'm ever going to learn anything that I don't know now. It's not like there's contested testimony. There's just contested experts about the state of mind. I'd be genuinely interested, and we'll read it out, what listeners think. How should we handle this? How should we process this? Obviously, there's been a murder, or there's been a killing. We're deciding what whether it's murder or not, I guess. Let us know. Send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at Radio. What a tragedy. You're on Rarely Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. 
People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness, what a great show. Oh, how much did I love Lucas and his mum, Tanya Chapel. Oh, my goodness. What a bright young boy, our future, if we have more Lucases is secured. I don't want to put a burden on him, but what he's achieved so far is just fabulous. And what a great thing that his mum has done for him. And for our children and our grandchildren, you think about all the things they need to do. Oh, they've got to learn to play the violin. Oh, they've got to learn, you know, sport. Oh, they've got to learn, yeah, yeah. Number one, they have to learn how to work and make money. And the importance of money and the importance of working. And has Tanya taught her son that? She's also taught him the skills to be in business, life skills. Most of us never do business, never understand it and get too scared. He was doing business at eight. Doesn't matter what it is, he was doing it. And having to look after customers, earn their money, earn their trust, and he did it all. Life skills, more important, I think, than many other skills we're teaching them, like, I don't know, how to use pronouns. Oh, and we had... uh, we talked about MMP and then the irrepressible Wally, Wally Richards, and I'm going to make my order and I'm going to get my tomato plants and I'm going to grow beautiful tomatoes in my tunnel house and over summer outside. I just can't wait. I'm so excited. Thank you for listening. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. And please send me a text, 2057. I just love it. And send me an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Thank you for listening so much you've been listening to real talk with rodney hyde on rcr reality check radio